Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yuma, Aleph, page 61. Uh, stay tuned. We will be announcing soon some details about our Siyum, because it's coming faster than we all realize, which is sort of hard to believe in about a month, a little less than a month. Um, but let's get straight to this stuff. There's a couple of interesting points here. One of the things that I think has been striking about um, all of Masachat Yuma is sort of really getting into the pedantic or the detail of what was done and not talking a lot about sort of uh, on a philosophical level, what is accomplished or what is getting power or atonement actually means. Um, here we have on the Gemara a little bit of it. I don't think it's a full philosophical discussion, but I wanted to read it and share it a little bit. Right. So the mission was talking about that in the sanctuary, on the, you know, they're talking about the Mizbech HaZahav here, that if the blood spills, you would have to go back and start again doing the uh, the the sprinklings that you had to do. Tanu Rabbanan, right? So the sages taught, V'chiper et mikdash hakodash. So this is quoting a pasuk from Vayikra, chapter 16, verse thir- uh, 33. The beginning half of the pasuk talks about uh, how the um, Kohen Gadzah would make basically a kapara for the Kaddish Kedoshim, for the, you know, for the Ohel Moed, for the Mizbeach, for the, um, for the uh, priests, for the Kohanim, and for all the people. So they're going through that whole Pasuk, and they're saying, Mikaddish HaKodosh, Zelifnim Belifnim, right? So this is talking about the innermost part, the Kaddish Kedoshim. Ohel Moed, Zeichal, that's the sanctuary. Mizbeach Kemashmo, the Mizbeach is talking about the Mizbeach. Yechaper Elu Azarot. And then where it says Yechaper, um, that is basically referring to that's the courtyards of the actual um, of the actual Beit Hamidash itself. And so what it's saying here is that he's going to be doing all the avodat that he does in all of those particular places is giving a type of kapara for you know probably tuma sins of tuma, but something that happened in those particular places. Then the pasu goes on hakohanim kamashmaan right. There's kapara for the kohanim. Amakahal Elu Yisrael, right? The 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 uh, uh, the people of the assembly is literally what it means. So that's all of Bnei Yisrael. Yechaper Elu Halavim, and there, he shall make atonement. That refers. So we're getting a kapara for place, you know, and then we're getting kapara for the people. Hushvu kulan kapara achat. All of these are sort of equal or equated in this one pasuk to say that it's one kapara. Right, that all of them achieve some type of kapara, right, through the seir hamishaleach, the scape, the scapegoat for all of their transgressions. Meaning, not the transgressions of the ones of the Beit Hamikdash, which was mentioned earlier, but this is for all the other transgressions, right? Debre Rabbi Yehuda. This is how Rabbi Yehuda understands it. So, according to Rabbi Yehuda series of kapara. There's a kapara we do on the physical manifestation of God, right, which is the Beit HaMikdash and all the different areas within the Beit HaMikdash, the Kaddish Kadoshim, the Heichal, the Mizbeach, the Azara. And then through the Seyar HaMishtaleach, we get a particular type of uh, kapara that comes, sorry, and that would be through the sprinklings. And then we get a different type of kapara that comes through all the different types of Jewish people, Kohanim, Levim, and Yisrael, for all the other types of sins that they do. But basically, the idea is there's sort of, you know, um, two, but really it's like one kapara, right? One for place, one for people. 
Rabbi Shimon Omer, Kishem Shadama Seyar Hanaseh Bifni Mechaper Al Yisrael, Bitumat Mikdash Bikadshab. So Rabbi Shimon says, just like how the blood of the goat um, does, uh, you know, uh, for the type of tuma that, that uh, you know, uh, that somebody may have committed, right? It atones for those sins, right? And, you know, in, in the temple itself and for its, it, and it's for its, you know, consecrated Kalim, uh, let's say. So Rabbi Shimon divides it differently. The par is for the Kohanim. The Seyar is for B'nai Yisrael, right? And that sort of makes sense if you look at what the particular vidui is, right? The vidui the Kohen Gadol does on the par is for, he does two. Remember, the first one is for him and his family. The second one is for him and his family and all Kohanim. And the Seyar one is for all of B'nai Yisrael. Right. And so he actually says, no, there isn't sort of one kapara for everybody. The kapara for, there's a separate kapara for anything that takes place in the Beit HaMikdash, but there's a separate kapara for the Kohanim that takes place with the par. There's a separate kapara for all B'nai Yisrael, for the rest of the B'nai Yisrael, that takes place with the uh, takes place with the Seyar. So it's interesting to see that sort of we're um, making, we're trying to get into the nitty gritty of like, when does the Kapara actually happen? After we've spent all of this time going through the order, how do things happen? What happens if it goes out of order? What if a mistake happens or things like that? You know, we, we then land on like, okay, but like, where does the Kapara actually happen? Who is the Kapara for? And Again, I'm sort of struck by how short this section is. Like we, you know, when you typically sit in shul today, you know, we sort of turn to the rabbi who, or if you're in a shul where a variety of people speak, sort of all the philosophical underpinnings of what kapara means. And, and we look at kapara and teshuva as like a very active thing, right? Like we have to work on it. Here, there's like a passivity to it, right? It's just like, these are the things you do. You get kapara, this piece of the avodah is kapara for this. This piece of the kapara is a voter for this. There's a machlokas between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon, exactly what falls under each category. But the lack of philosophy around it is very striking to me. Do you think Jewish guilt wasn't a thing yet? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like there's no Maybe like how much how much of our programming, right? Our self-programming, let's say, comes from davening every day and say, Slachano, Kilo, right? Everything that we say, and then we say, we say. Some people say a vidui or a shortened version of vidui every day, morning and afternoon, right? Like there's so much in our tefillah that treats like the where we are very aware of the ideals that we're looking working towards and where we fall short. And I feel like this was long, long before the the fixing of the sidor. I don't mean that people didn't pray, but it wasn't fixed in this liturgy of the particular words. I wonder if there was just the formality of Yom Kippur was for certain in place, right? I'm sure that people all over the country, let's say, all over the land of Israel were waiting to hear how the Kohen Gadol did in the Beit HaMikdash. On the other hand, it took a while till they heard. Like, so what happened? They didn't eat on Yom Kippur. They didn't do the, any of the five Inuyim. I don't know. Like, what? I feel like it's such. it must have been such a very... I'm not talking about the Kohen Gadol now. I'm talking about... Just the regular person. No, who... I, I agree with you. I think that's what's striking. And even the next section here, which I'm not going to read in full, but I'll just summarize out of the top, right? 
sorry, I'm reading the wrong place here, right? The, oh no, I was at the right place, right? They teach another Brisa here. And now they're quoting a Basuk from, from Vayikra, uh, chapter 16, verse 20, right? It says when he finished atoning for the most sacred place, right? And then they get into this. And again, they do the same type of thing of talking about the Kaddish Kedoshim, the Ohel Moed, the Heichal, the Mizbeach, right? But basically saying, that each of these is a separate atonement, right? You, you, you have to get a distinct atonement for each one of those places. And then it gets into this very interesting machlokas between Rabbi Meir, well, the Tanakama, right? And Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shimon, right? Which is, let's say, in the middle of one of the places where you're doing the sprinkling, all of the blood spills. And so you have to bring more blood. In other words, you have to shaft another animal and start again. Do you start from the beginning of the sprinklings or do you start in the middle of it? Like, do you have to start at the beginning of the cycle or do you just pick up from where you left off? And the Tanakama says you, you start from the beginning of the cycle. And Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Shimon say, no, you just start, you know, you basically just start from where you, um, where you, where you pick up. Um, but, you know, uh, and 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 I think like it, it, the thing about this is it's just again I think this emphasizes what you're saying and it's just practical in the end like here's a checklist this is what you need to do not much contemplation that's involved with the person you do these series of actions you're gonna get kapara and let's say something happens you don't have the blood available it spills okay either you shaft another animal and either you one opinion is you start from the beginning of that section and the other opinion is no you just even can start mid cycle. It's all, it's so formal and, and practical. And, you know, we certainly see where the Gemara Brachos was very philosophical. The lack of philosophy here is so strikingly different. It's not just that we don't do the Avoda anymore, but the emotion that we have behind Teshuva and what happens in Yom Kippur is just totally lacking here. Although I'll tell you another thought that occurs to me, the phenomenon here of this practicality, I think, is also what gives what leaves enough room for what I'll call the Sephardi joy of Yom Kippur as compared to the, you know, the Ashkenazi, somber, I don't know, morose, you know, God forbid, right? But the the phenomenon of Yom Kippur, as it is experienced, I think, by, I can't speak for everybody, but I mean, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but the, but the phenomenon of Sephardim, their day is much more joyous. They don't have Unatanak Tokef. I don't mean that it's not a day of, of Inui and a day of atonement, but it's not a day of sorrow. Not, I don't know that right, Ashkenazi but I, I think you sorrow, see that but... in these pages, right? There's nothing. Right, it's, exactly. It's, like, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful saying. gift. It's a gift that God gives you. No matter and, what, as long as it's done correctly, you're going to get Kapara. And that's a and I feel gift. like that. I feel like the Svardi take, I, you know, I, I don't always go for this idea that the Sephardim always get it right and the Ashkenazim have, you know, been too influenced by Christianity or whatever. But in this case, I wonder, because it feels like that what I hear tell is the Sephardi experience kind of sings more to this, right? This idea that, you know, you're there, you're good. The day is there for you as a present. You know, I, I something to think about. Um, I actually want to jump now to, I'm a bet. Um, Ahmed Bet has, you know, a, it's a completely different topic, really, because it's a sidebar, I would say, or a pop-up window kind of digression that is relevant for the question of what happens if the halacha cannot be carried out because of some kind of impairment along the way. Tanya Kavadei Rabbi Yochanan. So here we have a brayta in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. 
Asham Mitsura Shishakatu Shaloli Shmo. So the the Korban that the that the Mitsura, this person who has Tsarat, has brought. It's a Korban Asham, a guilt offering. And it's been discussed much more in these in this on this stuff, and I'm not going to get into the details there, but the, specifically what happens here. If we have an Asha Mitsura, Shishakato Shaloli Shmo, and the Kohen did the shita of this animal, but not for the proper name, not in the name of the Mitsura's Asham. Oh, or he didn't give he didn't put some of the blood on the thumbs of this person who had Tzara'at. So it's considered it's a guilt offering that does in fact go on the Mizbeach, and it requires the Nisachim, the libations, uh, the drink offerings, as though it were a valid korban. And yet, that Mitzora person has to bring another guilt offering for him to be eligible, right? He, he's, he's, it doesn't, this one doesn't count if it isn't brought, it is, if it isn't followed by the bringing of another Korban Asham exactly like this one. Even though it's the Kohen, really, it's really unfortunate for the guy because it's the Kohen who has messed up. So, so this is, you know, kind of a tricky situation where Rav Chista, again, this goes back to the previous discussion on the daf, which we didn't get into, says, what do you mean he has to, right? He has to, but he can't because he can't fix this. He can't undo what was done. So this leads, and the real reason to lead, to read this bit of the Gemara is that it, it prompts the next bit of the Gemara. The next bit of the Gemara, I think, is fascinating and important. What does it mean? Right? What does it mean that Rav Chista says he must, but he can't? There's no way to fix it. What does it mean there's no way to fix it? Meaning, we always think there's a way to fix everything, right? In, but the so the question is like, would he really say that? Would the, did Rav Chista really? Would anybody? Would a Tana? Rav Chista is not a Tana. Would a Tana really have said that? And the answer is yes, yes, indeed. But we've got a bright of a Hatanya Nazir Mimurat. So we've got a Nazir. So just briefly, a Nazir is a person who takes an oath to, well, he's, for whatever reason, he's going to purify himself or sanctify himself by being ascetic, and he's going to forswear wine and all great products, and he's going, and the, he's not allowed to come in contact with a dead body, and he's not allowed to shave or cut his hair. So what happens if you have a Nazir Mumurat? Mumurat, he's a bald Nazir, meaning he cannot shave. He cannot not shave, rather. There's nothing for him to avoid, right? Because he doesn't have hair to begin with. So, meaning because at the end, right, theoretically, you shave your head. You shave, you cut your hair afterwards, right? That's the whole thing. But Bechame says he should do it. He should take that razor and, like, go over, I guess, where there's skin. And Beit Hillel says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. If you don't have hair, you don't have hair. So then, Rabbi Avina, So this is the example that Rav Avina comes to say, this is the example of where you have to do it, but too bad, like you can't fix it. The, the, the Nazir who doesn't have hair can't do this part of the coming out of the Naziru. Like, there's just nothing you could do about it. Um, I, you know, it's the, I feel like this is the story of the guy who wants to be a Kohen, right? He wants to be a Kohen because his father was a Kohen, his grandfather was a Kohen. And so like in that case, he, of course he could be a Kohen 
the rabbi can quote unquote make him a coin because it's there. But somebody else who doesn't have that lineage and wants to be a coin, like, okay, you might want that, but too bad for you, you can't do it. The Gemara continues here and it gives us more interesting cases. Upligadur of Padat. So so Ravavina there and saying that this was a case of um Sarif Takana is a disagreement with Rav Padat. What is Rav Padat? Say it's Amar Rabbi Padat. So what happens? So we've already addressed, right? We've talked about the, the Nazir who is bald. But Rebelezer has a different case. His case is you've got a guy who's a Mitzorah. And the person, the Mitzorah, does not have a thumb. He does not have a big toe or one or the other, right? And the point is that part of the procedure part of the ceremony of um healing or i don't know treating the mitzora is to again to sprinkle the blood on his thumb or perhaps on his big toe but what happens if he doesn't have a thumb for whatever tragic accident for whatever you know malformation whatever ain't so according to rabbi lezer he can never become pure even when he's healed from his sarat, he just can never have the the purification process. So what should he do? Rebbelezer says the kohen should put it on the spot where the thumb was or where it would be, and in doing so, then the kohen fulfills the obligation of having that sprinkling on his thumb. He doesn't have a thumb, but he has a spot where the thumb would be if he were to have one. Rebbe Shimon Omer, im natan al shall small. Yatsa. So this, I think, is also interesting. We've talked about this left-right, left-handedness and right-handedness before. Here, Rabbi Shimon says, all right, so you know what? If you don't have a right thumb, because clearly that's where it's supposed to be, put on the left hand or the left foot, and then you fulfill the obligation. So what happens then is we've got Rabbi Padat, Rabbi Lezer, and Beit Shammai, all of them saying that even though you can't do this in the real way it's supposed to be done, we're going to give you some kind of like I don't want to say loophole kind of way, but some kind of accommodation to make sure that there's some way to bring it about, right? So that you could, again, you bring the razor over the head of the person who's bald, or you put the blood, sprinkle the blood on the place where the thumb would be of the Mitzvah who doesn't have a thumb. And the idea being like, this is a technical procedure. Let's get the procedure done with, oh, you don't have all the accoutrements that you need for this procedure, but you're never going to, it's not like waiting a week and then you'll have it, right? This is never going to work. So we've got to have uh, a substitute solution of ceremony. I feel like they're not saying it this way, but I would say like, it can't be that God has, a, you know, prevents a bald Nazir from coming out of his Nizi root. It, it, like, it, it doesn't make sense that God would allow that. There is such a thing as a Nazir Olam, right? Somebody who takes an oath to be a Nazir without specifying, you know, or takes an oath in certain ways, whatever. We'll get to this in Masachat Nazir or Nadaram even. There's there's ways to, to take oaths that will really trip you up. But this is not that. This is simply a physical, you know, a physical ailment or or impediment that is getting in the way. And it seems like the answer is, no, it's not going to get in your way. Even those of our tradition who are known to be machmir have come up with ways to make sure that you can be redeemed or, or purified or whatever out of the situation. So if I was going to sort of tie everything together, like, again, it's a very much like it's not philosophical. It's just practical. And so it's a very practical question. 
And then it's like, yeah, we'll just figure out a different way for you to do the steps that you have to do to accomplish it. But we're not going to get into a philosophical thing of what does it mean to be a Nazir without hair? What does it mean to be a Mitsora without the big toe or your thumb? We're just Although, I, I'm now at now I want to go have those conversations. But you're right. The Gemara doesn't do it. Yeah, it, it, it's la- so my theme for this stuff is it's lacking in philosophy, <laughs> which I just, you know, again, wh- when the Gemara chooses to be philosophical is interesting. When it chooses not to be is also interesting. And again, we're always doing this from our modern sense of the world. So I think these are places where we assumed why wouldn't it be philosophical? And it just isn't. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadrid website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 